1: Hey, and welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince D'Addario. I'm the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me today is my guy, that's Sean Davis from uh, ESPN Chicago. And of course, the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Sean, what's going on, my friend? Yes, my brother. How you doing today? I am doing fantastic. I, I'm so excited to have you in. Haven't I haven't had a chance to talk with you in a little bit, but obviously no. last night, You were on with Brian in my stead because, you know, 10 o'clock podcast in a house with five kids wasn't going to go over very well. So uh, very appreciative that you were able to join Brian on the uh, college football playoff podcast. How did it go last night?
2: Man, it was fun talking about the chaos that the committee has given (laughs) us so far in the first two releases. It's crazy. There's no rhyme or reason to anything that we've seen. Seriously.
1: Yeah, I, I just it. It. As I was, uh, I was kind of watching along with you guys, and I obviously watched the, um, the you know unveiling of the top twenty-five, and I just, a lot of times I can understand where the committee is coming from. I have a hard time with some of the decisions that they've made up to this point.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, I, it is so confusing because in one state you see them using head-to-head to differentiate when it comes uh, to Purdue and Iowa at 19 and 20, but then at 6 and 7, head-to-head head doesn't matter when it comes to Michigan and Michigan State. Right. You see half of the top 25 coming from two conferences, so they're basically telling you they have more respect for those two conferences than any other conferences, including the non-Power 5. So it's like yeah, this bad loss since you came from the Big Ten and the SEC is actually okay. Right, this bad loss since you're outside of those conferences are really bad, and we're going to penalize you for it. It's it's all over the place.
1: Yeah, it really is, and you know they're they're setting up, you know, Alabama, Ohio State to if they take care of their business, right, yeah. Yeah. to be in the playoff. Even yeah. even a two loss Alabama, I think if it's a good loss against Georgia, I I'm not going to be in any way surprised that they're in the final four. I, I'm totally shocked by that. I'm, I'm gonna be. I honest. mean too. Like me personally, no chance. You get two losses, you're done. You're out. Yeah, right. But I, I feel like the committee's setting them up to where they're gonna have an opportunity to make a case. And, and based upon what, right?
2: You know, it's like okay, you love the SEC and the Big Ten, and let's be honest, on the field, those have probably been the deeper and more competitive conferences in all of college football this season, and traditionally. They're at the top. Sure. And, you know, especially when you have teams like USC not holding down the Pac-12 historically as they have before. Right. But with all of that being said, you know, you you show no love to Oklahoma that's undefeated. Absolutely No love. They're still eight. They didn't move at all. They didn't move at all, which is crazy. And then you basically tell Notre Dame, look, that was a bad loss against Cincinnati, which we all agree, Vince. Like, we all agree, like, there's no way you should have lost that game to Cincinnati at home. No, there's no way. We don't feel like they're a better team than Notre Dame.
1: No, especially the, the last three weeks in the way that they've played.
2: And I think we've seen that, the way they yeah. played after that game. You know, they've struggled. They had to have two goal line stands to beat a Tulsa team that has struggled all year long. So when you look at this, there's so much for them to pull from. But I will say this in the stead of the committee. I do believe. This is one of the most difficult years to be able to operate. And it's a new crew in there. Yeah. It's, it's a new crew, new faces, new ideas in the room. So this uh, game control thing, which is similar to what they use for the NCAA basketball, men's basketball and women's basketball tournaments, is being included. Maybe that's the differentiator between Michigan and Michigan State, that Michigan controlled that game for three quarters, and then Michigan State eventually sure. won. So, oh, man, I, I just don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. Hopefully things on the field would decide in right. the coming weeks with everybody, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, all playing each other, Cincinnati, you know, having to earn their way and play much better in a conference that gets no respect. They should be winning double digits and winning those games easily, but the toughest part of their slate is coming up. Right. So I really don't see Cincinnati being able to do that, which means what you said about a two-loss Alabama team could be, man, very much the case.
1: Right. Very yeah. much the case. Yeah. yeah. And I, the conversation you guys were having, I thought, last night was really interesting in that, uh, you know, Ohio State's fourth right now with a loss to Oregon, obviously. Uh, and who have they played, though? Like, how yeah. – how is that number four ranking justified outside of they've been good for the past 10 years? Mm -hmm. You know, other other than that, I don't understand how that, I mean, I never even really thought of it that way because I think the same way, like Ohio state's always good. You know, they're the class of the big 10, you know, all of this stuff, but who have they played thus far? Now their strength of schedule will increase as they play Michigan state and Michigan, of course, uh, and for, and honestly, a little bit Purdue. like if they beat Purdue, Purdue might be their best win up to this point. Um, which is scary. Yeah. Uh, but you know what what justifies them as a top four team right now? I think that is a big discussion point that is getting overlooked by the fact that Oklahoma's at eight and Cincinnati's still on the outside looking in. Other
2: than the brand Ohio State and right. Uh, maybe the people in that room believing in Ryan Day and how great of a coach he is. I right. have Vince. I have absolutely no clue how you can put Ohio State in the top four. Now, this is my thing because if I if I were in their room, this is what I would say: There's no harm in putting Cincinnati in the top four right now, right? Because Ohio State and Alabama have the schedules down the stretch to sure. put Cincinnati out of the top. Right.
1: Of They'll jump Cincinnati just because of strength of schedule.
2: Absolutely. Right. So why don't we just put them in the top four right now? There's no harm in that. Right. You know, that makes things easier than putting these other teams in front of them that you can possibly say from a resume standpoint, you know, they don't have a better resume. I right. tell us, I think we both mm-hmm. would choose Ohio state and Alabama over Cincinnati. From an sure. Oh standpoint. yeah. And then who's control games. I mean, I've seen on three different occasions, Alabama looked nowhere near the historical dominant Alabama that we've seen in the previous four to five years. Florida physically dominated them. LSU went into Alabama last week and dominated them, ran the ball, controlled a line of scrimmage. And then in that loss to Texas A&M, Texas A&M dominated that game for three quarters. So, so what are we really saying? You can't yeah. tell me that Based upon the eye test and the things I just talked about, you can't sell me that Alabama's the second-best team. Not at all. You can't sell that to me. So I'm very confused. If they were smart, they would put – they would make um, five and six specifically. This is the best season to make teams five and six at this point, specifically for Ohio State and Alabama, and say, you guys can play your way in. Until you do that, one through four should probably be Cincinnati – Georgia, Oregon, and then I would – at that point in time, you would have to give Oklahoma some credit for yeah. being undefeated in a Power 5 conference. Absolutely. You have to. And then the t- the toughest part, toughest part of their slate is coming up so they can play themselves in or out.
1: Right, so right.
2: So what's, what's the harm of having Oklahoma in the top four right now? Right. There is no harm, and no one would really have a beef about that
1: because they're undefeated. Absolutely right. Yeah, no question. I I still don't see how they're eighth, but because if you're looking at strength of schedule, and look, I I get that the Big Twelve isn't, you know, doesn't have the respect that the Big Ten or the SEC Mm -hmm. has. I get it. Okay, fine. But they're still undefeated. They're still in a Power Five. They still have their the hardest part of their schedule in front of them. But you could just replace the words. Oklahoma with Ohio State right but now Ohio State's not undefeated I get that but they they're getting the benefit of the doubt and they're in the final four right now like I I don't I I think there's a case to be made that Oklahoma's strength of schedule will be stronger than than Ohio State's there's a case to be made now Ohio State lost to Oregon Oregon's in the final four okay so that's the big one right they but it's still a loss for Ohio State they lost that game and they got I mean that wasn't really all that close, and and uh, Oregon didn't have their top two defensive players in, so you got to take that into account as well, right? Yeah. So it's just very interesting to me. I feel like at times it feels like the committee is looking forward, like what they think the Final Four is going to be like at the end of the season. Yeah, and then there's also, well, we're we're not going to get the benefit of the doubt to Oklahoma. They got to work their way in. Like it just, I don't know. It's like they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth to me
2: they're definitely speaking out both, out of both sides of their mouth and they're not taking the opportunity to give college football fans something that's believable. Right? Like this top 4 that they've given us is not believable. That's right. you can't sell that to us. Right. If 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 an undefeated Oklahoma team was in the top 4, most college football fans would say okay. Yeah. Undefeated. Right. You know, what do exactly. you say about that? like ohio state like you said they just lost to oregon and oregon has its flaws as well
1: absolutely you know, absolutely it's
2: kind of struggled against some lesser teams as well so and that that is the struggle that this committee has is because yes. they don't have two to three elite teams like they've had normally
1: that you just that, slot in
2: slot in and lock in and say we know they're going to be there right And maybe we have one tough decision to make at the end of the season it's going to be very difficult depending upon how things play out in the Iron Bowl, the SEC championship game, Big Ten championship game, and the end of the Big Ten season, it's going to be really difficult. And I think it's going to be a lot of, a lot of controversy. But yeah, I do think this is a precursor to how things will be when expansion ultimately takes place. Sure. Because sure. I think they're pretty much just going to put the Power 5 teams in the top five slots and say, okay, those are our top five teams. And then I really don't think the non-power five teams have an opportunity to get in if they go to eight. Just looking at what looking at the way things are being done right now. It's going to be tough even then with the expansion.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's gonna be, it's gonna be very interesting. I I think a lot of it is going to what's gonna benefit the committee, I think, is going to be that a lot of these teams are gonna play themselves out of yeah. contention, right? And you know, we'll we'll see what that looks like, but I think the Big Ten could eventually eat themselves alive. You know, again, if if Alabama loses, and if I want to say if Georgia wins by more than a touchdown, Alabama's out. Yeah. Like if it's a field goal game, the committee's going to do everything they can to keep Alabama in that top four. There, there, there's just no question in my mind. Yeah. Um, but you know, Oregon, like you said, is not infallible. They could lose. You know, there, there's a lot of opportunity here for teams to lose, um, and I think the committee's just on their knees praying that it just kind of works itself out, and that yeah. none of these previous polls are gonna matter. You know what I mean? But
2: yeah. I think they're doing a lot of over analysis. Yeah, uh, over analysis, and right. what I mean by that is take Ohio State and Oregon, right? Simply, Oregon beat Ohio State, but the committee could be looking at the fact. Well, Ohio State really has a freshman running back and a freshman quarterback. Let's look at their progression. Sure. And they can look at their progression against lesser – the lesser get teams in the Big Ten, might I add, when they went on their run. They look at the progression and they say, okay, Stroud's much better. Henderson's much better. Right. They went up against a very tough – remember, the, the, one of the last times we actually talked, before the Big Ten or at the beginning of the Big Ten season, I said the most difficult defense for them to face would be Penn State because of their secondary. And their secondary can match up against their wide receivers. And Penn State played them very tough at the horseshoe, which wasn't shocking to me at all. But the C.J. Stroud that showed up against Oregon probably doesn't beat Penn State. And when you have people in the room that probably think like that – sure. They give more credit to that Penn State win than probably should be given because Penn State, at this point in time, is is an okay team, but they really can't threaten you offensively. Right. Not with Sean Clifford. I don't think anybody thinks Sean Clifford is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the nation. No. With all of that being said, when you look at that game, they shouldn't get a lot of credit because it was a highly contested game. They shouldn't get a lot of credit for the Nebraska win, but I think a lot of people look at the fact that Nebraska played Oklahoma close. Right. They played a lot of other, um, played Michigan close, Michigan State. So even though they're three and six, maybe they don't look at Scott's Frost squad as a normal three and six bad team. Maybe they look at them as a very competitive squad. So I don't know what they're thinking, Vince. I'm just throwing stuff, hoping it can stick <laughs> and make our listeners feel a little bit better about the scores that was released on yesterday.
1: I know. But who knows? I'm with you, man. I'm I'm with you. So appreciate you talking to me about that because I, I missed out on last night and yeah. uh I, I wanted to get my two cents in there, but it's just a week two of chaos. It's really it's really what it is. And uh we're gonna see how things develop. And yeah. I look the way this season has gone up to this point, chaos has been it has reigned supreme. I mean, that's like the 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 go to word for this whole season. Mm-hmm. I expect it to continue. I mean, there's yeah. going to be upsets we're not expecting. There's going to be chaos, and as far as Notre Dame is concerned, they just got to keep winning.
3: Just That's keep winning.
1: Yeah. You got to get to the finish line, eleven and one. If you got, if you get to the finish line, eleven and one, you're going to have a say in whatever happens in the postseason. So you got to stay the course yep. if you're Notre Dame. Got to stay the course. Notre Dame football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Irish tickets anymore because TickPick that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need for all of your go-to Irish tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their Notre Dame tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. The Irish hit the road for the first time in a month as they head to Charlottesville, Virginia to take on the University of Virginia. Can the Irish withstand the passing attack of the Cavaliers? Find out in person now with TickPick. Just visit TickPick.com slash Irish today to save $10 on your first order of Notre Dame tickets. Again, that's TickPick.com slash Irish today to save $10 on your first order of Notre Dame tickets.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: All right, so what we're here for today is our normal Wednesday uh, podcast, and it's our stacking up episode. And we are today talking about uh, basically the side of the football that is going to decide this game. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. It's the Virginia offense versus the Notre Dame defense. And there there are a lot of question marks, obviously, about this particular matchup, mainly because the Armstrong kid from Virginia is still – for lack of a better term, he's a game time decision. Yeah. Um, and we may learn a little bit more as the week goes on here. If we hear from Bronco Mendenhall, uh, if he's actually going to play, but if he's healthy and he's cleared, he's going to play and they need him to play. He's the trigger man for this offense. I think he's the second leading passer in the country. Uh, he, he accounts for over, oh, I think over 400 yards a game. I mean, the, 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 dude, the dude's an offensive, you know, juggernaut. Um, and if he plays, you know, Notre Dame's gonna have their work cut out for him in this one. Absolutely. And I look at this offense and I say to myself,
2: you know, you take the head off of the snake and the snake dies, right? But Brennan Armstrong is it's hard to take the head off of a quarterback unless you can consistently put pressure on the quarterback with a front four.
1: Right. Absolutely. If you can do that
2: consistently, you have a great chance of muffling and smothering this offense. But a lot of teams have tried to do that. Uh I think that game against BYU, they made a lot of early mistakes. I think it was more of them making mistakes than BYU really uh, shutting them down. And they got behind and then once they came back they just didn't have the energy to keep up because their defense just didn't play a good game. They haven't played well right. all year. But oh no there's a lot of pressure on Brendan Armstrong and yes. the offense week in and week out. Right. And I think when you face off against a team like Notre Dame, that without Kyle Hamilton, there's still a good defense. We know with Kyle Hamilton, they become much better, especially oh, yes. against a multifaceted passing attack that they're going to face against Virginia. I hope he's cleared Saturday. I hope he walks into that field because if he does, that means there's something that Marcus Freeman can take away immediately from the arsenal that Brennan Armstrong would like to have. But like you said, the health of Brendan Armstrong, when you're dealing with ribs as a quarterback, yeah. that's at most I think he might be 80%, 80, 85%. I don't think he's going to be 100%. And I'm very – do you think that impacts the passing game or his scrambling ability?
1: You know, his it's ability. it's it's all of the above, and I know that that's, yeah. that's possibly a cop-out answer, but he's averaging – He's averaging 30 yards a game on the ground so which puts his total yardage average to like 425 yards a game because he averages 395 through the air but he's a dangerous runner he's a slippery runner he's he's very similar to Sam Howell in in the in the fact that he's slippery right mm-hmm. um and he can make you pay he can move the chains you know he's not going to run away from you but he can move the chains if if you go man to man and you turn your back on him um and so it's it's a dual threat. He's a dual threat guy. He, yeah. he can hurt you with his legs. He can hurt you with his arm. And so, yeah, you've got to take into account both because if you don't, he's going to burn you. And yeah. the drop-off between him and whoever it is, whether it's um, Armstead or the other kid coming in, whoever it is, it's a huge drop-off at the quarterback position. I mean, he is the trigger man, plain yeah. and simple. Um, and Armstead
2: is a local kid, right? God, he, he went to South
1: Bend him. Adams. That's yeah. right. It, it, and the funny thing is, uh, his senior year. I mean, this kid's a D1 quarterback, right? He's the he's the backup at Virginia, and they went 0 and 10 his senior year. So I think that says more about the coaching staff than the kid. But right. uh, yeah, they went 0 and 10 his senior year. But he's he's doing work over at Virginia. I'm, I, it's awesome for him. I, he is. He was a one man show, no question about it, in high school. Uh, but the kid's got a cannon for an arm, and he can run. He can outrun you. Uh, that that's the difference with him. So, but the the way I understood Bronco was that he is going to go with the other kid because he's more similar to Armstrong as opposed to Ira, who's more of a dual threat, like a legit read option type dual threat. Right. Um, And so in order to not change the offense around as much, they would go with the other kid as the starter and keep Ira as the backup. I think that's the way I understood it.
2: Yeah. For me, we talk about going at the head of the snake Isaiah posky we know what he <laughs> is, right nine folks <laughs> right. on the season seventh nationally we know what he's going to bring to the table and we know he's dealing with an injury and fighting through it but he's been spectacular it's time for us to see a little bit more out of Jordan Patello, especially yeah. rushing the quarterback and Marcus Freeman needs to let him loose and and let him get out of the path of the quarterback and give us that tandem from the outside speed rushing. That would help greatly in this game, you know, and then loose, you know, your guys on the inside. I don't know if this was really – I I don't – Rob and I really doesn't even try to run the ball. (laughs) He just doesn't. He just doesn't. So, Kurt Heinrich in this game, like the Navy game was a Kurt Heinrich
1: game. Oh, and right. he he took advantage. They I mean took advantage.
2: Yeah. Right. This is where you might see more of Cross, um, Jason, Justin do their thing, but we can go to more of a NASCAR front four. Sure. Because every every down is a passing situation with Virginia. It's not like third and seven. We know it's a passing situation. No, first and ten. <laughs> second and five right third, third and short whatever well, it's a passing situation so you can go to a more of a nascar because of line look and really get your pass rushes in there and get up the field and try to put pressure on this young man especially you know if he's going to be a little less mobile
1: right absolutely i yeah. mean look virginia and, and let's Let's uh let's jump into this thing here real quick. Before we do though, we do have a super chat from TJ. I want to throw it up here. TJ says, "Happy birthday to my beloved corps, go Irish. It is the Marine Corps birthday today." And so happy birthday to you, TJ. Yes, absolutely. There um uh, there's a colonel from the Marine Corps who runs the JROTC group here at Riley. I went up to him today. I said, "I think I'm doing this right, but I want to wish you a happy birthday." And he was very appreciative of that. He's a retired colonel from the the Marine Corps and uh great, great man. So uh, happy birthday to you too as well, TJ. And thank you very much for the super chat. Okay. So we are going to dive in. Let's start. Let's So You were kind of talking about the, uh, the run game. And so let's jump right into that. Uh, let's see here. Boom. There we go. There, there's the yardage. There are the numbers. Um, you know, Virginia is averaging 144 yards a game again, Armstrong accounts for 30 yards of that. So everybody else accounts for 114 yards of that offense uh, on the ground. And obviously that's not great. They they rank 84th in the country uh, as a team. And, uh, you know, five yards a carry is is not bad. But you can tell that they, they don't try to run it that often if they're averaging five yards a carry.
2: And you have to include the three to five jet sweeps that they run. You know, in that as well. Absolutely. And Malapapa, look, I think he has close uh, right at 300 yards on the season at this point.
1: Yeah, 294 or 290. Excuse me, 290.
2: And that's your leading rusher, right? It's like no, Rob and I, they they've committed to the fact that the best way for us to win is to put the ball in the hands of Brendan Armstrong and let him. But he has a lot of weapons. Yes, he does. This is not like Sam Howe and um, Keaton uh, Slovis having Drake London and Josh Downs. It's totally right. different. Yep. Totally different. This is wide open, and they have three or four guys that can beat you.
1: No question. Three or
2: four guys, and then they have – I swear they have a seven-footer playing tight end. Like this <laughs> kid is – he's, he's number zero is absolutely huge, and he can run like a deer. So they have weapons in the passing game. Right. And they love to gut you in the seams. So it's going to be a, a really difficult task for Marcus Freeman. Yeah. And it's somewhat depleted secondary because remember Tariq Bracey, you know, is kind of injured as well. So you're going to see Ramon Henderson and a lot of youngsters getting into the game and um, we'll, we'll see what they have and what they can do.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, from a, from a running attack standpoint, uh, you know, Notre Dame is obviously very good against the run when they focus on the run. You know, I think that, you know, where the Virginia, the Virginia coaching staff could run into a problem if they start looking at what, for example, USC did to Notre Dame towards the end of the game, you know, what uh, North Carolina did at times, you know, during their game where they were running at will because Notre Dame wasn't even trying to stop the run at that point, going three front, you know, all that fun stuff. And I'm a little bit worried that Notre Dame is going to go back to that three front and and just kind of focus on shutting down the passing game. And then Virginia, look, they're good enough where they can take advantage of you if you're not going to try to stop the run. Notre Dame at this point in the season, I think, um, and I want to get your opinion on this as well, it's not just about the three front. That that It does annoy me when everybody's like, oh, three front, they can't, blah, blah. It's not just about the three front, but Notre Dame has shown that they are better when they've got four down. Yeah. They're better at stopping the run when they're four down, and you can still defend against the pass with four down. What are they going to do against this Virginia team? Because they don't try to run the ball that much, but they can if they need to. That's, I think, where I'm going to be kind of keeping my eye on things as far as what this defense is going to do to this offense.
2: So, the injury to their quarterback might force their hand to say, look, we can't expect him to give us 30 or 40 yards on the ground. Right. We have to find it somewhere else, whether it's more jet sweeps, sure, you know, more screens behind the line of scrimmage or committing to the run game even more. And if they do that, Going up against that three down, then they might have some success in the play action game. But for me, just watching how they go about doing things, I still believe Robin Eye is gonna put his faith and his trust in his quarterback. And I mean, how you have to totally understand that.
1: You like, still gotta be you, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's our
2: their identity. This dude is like second nationally at passing efficiency, and they put points up and they have weapons, and they're greater weapons. Are really about the wide receivers and the tight end. Absolutely. Like Malapapa is he's okay. Right. I'm telling Papa, I'm sorry. At running back. So the difference here is we knew that they had power running backs at USC with Ingram and uh, uh number 19 for North Carolina, his name. Right. His, because he, he came out and, and was a, a Mack truck against Wake Forest as well.
1: Yes, he was. He that had a big run against them. Yeah, absolutely.
2: absolutely. I mean, it wasn't just Sam Howell. You know, he was huge in the second half of that game, wearing down that Demon Deacons defense. So, for me, the rush game for Virginia becomes more of a weapon in the second half. Right. Starting off early, I really don't think they want – I think they perceive Notre Dame's weakness in the secondary. Sure. At this point. Especially if fourteen is not out there,
1: huge. Yeah,
2: I think I think they come out and they try to jump out early and hold on. That's probably the best way they best route to winning this game is to get up on Notre Dame and cause Notre Dame to play from behind. Because I don't, even though they love to pass the ball, if you give Notre Dame and their defensive front the ability to just pin their ears back, one of the listeners just said in the chat, yeah, this is this is a game. Mm-hmm. You just know the game, come up with four, five, six sacks. Because they're gonna have plenty of opportunities and yes. they just don't have to worry about the run game on their way to the quarterback. So right. you, Vince, if you and I were
1: OCs
2: for Virginia, we would probably say, you know what? Let's run a lot of draws. Right. Let's catch them off balance. Because
1: if they're gonna pin their ears back and come, you're gonna take advantage of that. Yeah. Some screens, screens, you know, yep. yeah, absolutely. Get them
2: on, get them on their heels. And attack them that way. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Rob and I chooses the chooses to attack the Notre Dame defense.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, look, Notre Dame, when like I said, when when their focus is stopping the run game or stopping the run game first and then defending the pass game, they're very good against the run. I mean, the the numbers that I'm looking at right here are not terrible, right? They, they're allowing they're allowing less yards than Virginia you know, uh, rushes for, I mean, it puts them 54th in the country. It's not terrible. It's not not great, but it's not terrible either. Um, they're not bad against the run. I think they've been abused a little bit at certain times. Yeah. Um, you know, so I I think that that's something that they obviously need to work on. And I think that they're getting better at that. Um, yeah. So it, again, it's what is the focus going to be for Marcus Freeman's defense? How are they going to go up against this? But I think for me, uh, I, I'm still going to give the advantage to Notre Dame, mainly because I don't think Virginia is going to try to run that much. No. Um, and, and so I think that automatically gives Notre Dame the advantage.
2: And, you know, the yards per game has gone for Notre Dame's defense has gone up simply because number 14 hasn't been there. Right. Let's just be real. You know, the chess piece he is. Marcus Freeman in that defense, and then number two, they faced two teams that love to throw the ball, and they made the conscious decision not to be as aggressive, right, against USC and North Carolina to keep them. And if they had played fundamental football against North Carolina, they probably hold North Carolina under thirty points.
1: Agreed. Agreed. I'm talking about
2: just simple tackling, right, and not making mistakes, not getting two guys rushing in the same gap. Right, allowing Sam Howell to get outside and run the ball the way he ran the ball. If they just play sound fundamental, sound fundamental football, if they do that against Virginia, I think they can do the same thing. Now, this, this, I have a question for you, okay? And I asked, I asked Brian this question offline, but Uh um, since we're talking about this matchup, I want to get your answer to it and the listeners because. I I think it's gonna play well for how the committee looks at Notre Dame after this game. I think this is a big game. I do too. Showcase, you know, the committee will be watching it's prime time. This is a game where if you put on the show, the full complete show as a team, Notre Dame can jump a couple of spots. I I really do believe that.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I I think this is their last marquee game of the season. Mm -hmm. This is their last hurdle. If they can get over this with flying colors, you know, beat Virginia by a few touchdowns, I think that yep. goes a long way. I really yep. do. Um, because Virginia, you could argue, is playing better than USC in, in North Carolina, which everybody thought was going to be the marquee games of the season. That's why they were night games, by the way, um, at home. And you're right, I, especially if Armstrong plays. If Armstrong plays, I think that plays actually into the hand of Notre Dame from an overall standpoint, you know. Will the game be closer if he plays? Probably. More likely. Um, yeah. But will it be a bigger win if he plays? Absolutely, because you know the haters are just well, their starting quarterback was out. Of course, Notre Dame won, or of course they won in you know great fashion. I mean, it's still built in because he's still look, his ribs are not going to be completely healed. No, right. And so the excuse is still built in that he's not at one hundred percent, right? But this is still the biggest hurdle for Notre Dame left on on the schedule. And and people can, you know, talk up Stanford and and Georgia Tech all they want. This is still the biggest hurdle left, and it's not close. Um, so I agree with you. I, I think if Notre Dame does what they should do in this matchup, yeah, that yes, they could bump up a few spots for sure.
2: Yeah, their their rush stats are going to get much. They'll be really good coming out of this game.
1: Right. Absolutely. They, I think
2: they hold Virginia under 100 yards.
1: Yeah. Oh, on the ground. Yeah, yeah. they should. Yeah. Absolutely, they should. Yeah. All right, Sean, we have a super chat, uh, really just for you. Um, okay. and so I'm pulling it up here. Let's see here. There we go from Rick. He said he 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 did follow it up and he says, I know it's off subject, but I don't care. We're going for it because Brian's not here. It, we're going crazy. Uh Rick Doyle, thank you, Rick, for the super chat. He said, Sean, love when you're on the show and you will see me on your channel for sure. Love your perspectives. Question How did you and I B link up? A little peek behind the curtain. Ironically, I don't know.
2: Like literally after the show last night, Brian and I were talking and we asked each other this same question. <laughs> How did we meet? Like, and we can't remember if it was like an inbox or something, but I do know at the time I was doing some work with another podcast, and there was a big game between Notre Dame and Miami. And that's how we wanted Brian on to talk about it. And that was the initial meeting. Gotcha. We couldn't, we couldn't remember how it took place, but that was the initial meeting. And unfortunately, it was that
1: 2017 loss oh.
2: on the road. Yeah, that was, we yeah. met over
1: heartbreak. Pretty that much. was a rough one. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a rough one for yeah. sure.
2: And then from that point on, we stayed constantly in contact and he would join me. You know, my podcast, when we had, we actually were the home of Notre Dame football at ESPN Chicago for a long time until this year when we got the White Sox. So then the relationship just built from there. And then here we are.
1: Love it. Love yeah. it. Well, I'm glad it did. I'm I'm glad it did. OK. Let's go and boom. Let's pop it up here. Uh let me get rid of that. Okay, so let's talk about the pass uh defense for Notre Dame versus the Virginia passing offense. And this is where the rubber meets the road, Sean. This is, you know, we talk about the fact that the Virginia offense versus the Notre Dame defense is the side of the ball that's going to decide this game. Yeah. Inside that matchup, this is what is going to decide the game. Can Notre Dame match up against Virginia's pass attack. I mean, they're ranked number two in the country for passing yards a game at 401. I mean, that pretty much says it all. They're fifth in the country in touchdowns. Um, you know, they, they turn the ball over a little bit. Um, you know, eight interceptions, that's not great. And Notre Dame is very good at taking away interceptions uh, from the opposing offense. They're ranked seventh in the country yeah. uh, in, in that regard. And they give up sacks. I mean, they've given up 23 sacks on the season. And, and like you said, one of our posters said that, you know, they, they want to see Notre Dame get seven to 10 sacks in this game, which might be a little excessive, but at the same time, I love where their heads at. I love the the thought process behind Notre Dame, just kind of pinning their ears back and going to get whoever the quarterback happens to be. So your initial thoughts on this side of things.
2: Virginia thing is really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and Brandon right. Armstrong is really good, which we <laughs> knew. But just looking at the stats is like, yeah. And he's getting it done with an offensive line that I really don't think. So it's really, you know, we talked about this a little bit. Is it scheme or is it really the fact that they're really good? And I don't think they have because I think one of their top receivers was actually a quarterback last year, on Thompson. So he, he's a converted quarterback, and uh, he's been putting in work. We, Billy Kemp, actually made some good plays the last time Virginia came to Notre Dame in 2019, I believe. So he's a slot guy that is very shifty, but they just don't have like overwhelm. It's not like when we faced North Carolina last year and they had those two NFL wide receivers, and Josh Downs was a freshman, yeah. No. Um, but they spread the ball around yes, and they the do. accuracy of Armstrong is what makes everything go. His de- decision making and the accuracy. To me, their best athlete is their tight end. He's he's a monster. I don't yeah. care if you line him up at the end of the line, line of scrimmage or the line or if you split him out, he's a problem. Like right. he's a matchup problem. And I think they're gonna try to use that especially against our shorter guys in the secondary and against our linebackers. So it's going to be very important what defense and and what players Marcus Freeman deploys to try to take things away. I understand going to more of a cloud coverage or cover three and a cover two sure. to protect your guys against North Carolina and USC, but this is a game where I actually want them to be aggressive. I really do. I want especially early. Like let's let's check Set his the tone. Ribs. Yeah, the let's tone. check his ribs. Let's check and see yeah. how how healthy he really is. Let's let's do that early. And if they catch us because I they can't stop us. You have to go into this game saying if I'm Brian Kelly, I'm telling Marcus Freeman, they're not stopping us offensively. We're right. going to score. We're putting up 50. Exactly. Go after this guy. Get us some turnovers, because I'm telling you now. If they get down 21 and nothing because of mistakes, the same way they did to BYU, this game is over. Right. There is no comeback and tying the game up or taking a lead in the third quarter. That's not happening against Notre Dame. So early on, we have to let's attack. Let's attack. We don't want him to get comfortable. He's accurate. If you allow him time just to sit back there and throw, he'll carve you apart because he does have multiple weapons. So let's go out, let's dictate. And let's get after these guys because they'll allow sacks. You see that right there. They rank eighty-seven and sacks allowed, so you can you can get this guy. You can hurt him. You can get him on the ground. You can chase right. him. You can make him uncomfortable early. And once you do that, and take the, and get the lead, if you want to go to more of a sit back, let's keep everything in front of us type of defense. I'm all good with that. But I don't, it, and it's not based upon Cal Hamilton being there, right? Whether he's there or not, let's be aggressive and go after this guy hit him and make him hurt and get out early on this team and see if we can make him quit
1: I think that you know if we're talking about Kyle Hamilton and and of course we don't know he's going to basically going to be a game time decision as well as Armstrong uh, which affects this side of things no question about it Um, you know you brought up the uh, the tight end for Virginia Jelani Woods um you know he's second on the team in touchdowns I mean yeah. he's got six touchdowns on the season and if Kyle Hamilton's playing I'm not worried about Jelani Woods not mean, at all. you know what I mean because that's a matchup you can pretty much just take it away yeah right I mean you can just take away that option uh especially up the middle and the seam and all that fun stuff so um can they win this game without Kyle Hamilton? Yes, of course they can. Mm -hmm. Um, But if he's in there, of course I have a a heck of a lot more uh, enthusiasm about Notre Dame's chances, especially on this side of the ball, because I mean, he just makes your defense that much better. So um, if they don't have him, I will echo what you just said. I think that, you know, it is going to be a similar thought process to what the North Carolina game was. You know, let them get theirs underneath, rally to the football, tackle, Um, you know, just don't let them in the end zone. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a terrible game plan as long as you're aggressive with the front. If if you're aggressive with the front, I have no problem with that being your game plan to keep everything in front of you. Yeah, but I want to see four and five man pressures uh to get armstrong off of his base get him out get him not comfortable right and somebody in the chat said and i think i said it earlier ribs don't heal overnight no absolutely and, and, not. and if, if he's cleared to play that that's fantastic good for him that's great but he's still going to be feeling it and i don't care how much pain med you take you know every time you throw the ball you're going to feel those ribs and if you just let those guys pin their ears back and he gets a couple of good shots. And if he kind of, you know, gets loose on a scramble and he takes a good shot from a linebacker or a defensive end or something, you know, he's going to think twice about taking off again. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's going to yeah. think twice about hanging in the pocket, you know, for a while, um, you know, being that 87th in the country and in, in sacks allowed. Right. So <clears throat> there's a lot to this game. I think there's a lot to this side of the ball. Um, what worries me the most about this matchup is the fact that they do spread the ball around Notre Dame has proven they can shut down one guy mm-hmm. right i mean and 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 make him ineffective, I should say yeah, um you'll get his yards, but he it, but ineffective they did it to purdue, they did it to u s c they did it to to North Carolina. This is a different animal uh because you've got let's see one, two, three, four. You've got five receivers of the football with uh, 28 catches or more. And then Mike Collins has 16 uh, after him. So, you you know, they like to spread the ball around a lot. And they've got guys that are pretty good at at receiving the football, right? I mean, uh, you've got Dontavian Wicks, uh, 42 catches total, averages 108 yards a game. You've got Billy Kemp, averages over 60 yards a game. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Keitaon Thompson? Ta-on
2: Thompson, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, Thompson, I can, I can pronounce that part. He averages over 70 yards a game, and then you've got two other guys that average over 50 yards a game. So yeah. they can throw the football, they can catch the football, they're dangerous.
4: The headlines remind us daily. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.
2: And that, you know what that tells you about their quarterback? He's really good at progression. He's Absolutely. really good at progression. He doesn't get stuck on that first read. If it's not there immediately, he's gone to progression two, progression three, get the ball out of your hands. So that that's what you're facing, and that's why I like being aggressive and going at them early. Absolutely. Going at them early and forcing him to throw the ball when he doesn't want to throw it. Because if you just give him time to go back there and sit and choose where he wants to throw the ball, and, you know, jokingly, it's like when you have ribs, it hurts to Talk, it hurts to
1: laugh, twist. twist. I mean, just yeah, anything
2: right. early on. I'm trying to make him audible, hand signal, change protections, anything that can take breath that can aggravate that rib. I want people up at the line of scrimmage, fake blitzing, acting like they're in the gaps. Make him think, do everything that can cause him to be uncomfortable early on in the game and test right. him out. Absolutely. And right. then you adjust from there. Now, interesting. Do you think this would be a really good game? You talk about being more effective in the four-man front, and I talk about more of a NASCAR pass rush. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and put Jason and Myron on the inside. Put put Myron back on the inside for this game, because he's not going to have to worry about stopping the run as much, and have them put more pressure up the middle. You know, more pass rush up the middle for this game, and then allow Foskey... Uh, Justin, if he's in the game, and Jordan Batello will come around the edges and put more pressure with that front four.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, moving Meyer around, I have no problem with that whatsoever. I, yeah. I think that the more you give them uh, to prepare for, the more looks you throw at them, the better off you're going to be defensively if you're Notre Dame. Bringing uh, bringing a few exotic pressures, you know, things of that nature. I yeah. think that's a great idea, and I I love the fact that you want to go with the NASCAR look up front because, again, I want them to be aggressive up front yeah. and then careful in the back, especially yeah. if 14's not playing. Uh, I, I think that that's really, really important uh, because, you know, I have a lot of faith in Cam Hart. Um, you know, my faith is is growing with the other two guys that usually play, uh, Bracey and Lewis, uh, yeah. but this is a tough matchup. Right. I mean, this is a tough matchup for Notre Dame. There's no question about it, especially with your leader on the sideline, potentially. So um, I I think you have to be very careful in the backfield, but I think you can light them up up front. And if they can do that early. A lot of this, look, it's time to put some pressure on Notre Dame's offense. You know what I mean? Like I put the game on Notre Dame's offense. Like, look, Mm -hmm. defensively, we're going to take some chances here. And yeah. you know we're going to we're going to try to heat up the quarterback. We're going to try to get him on the ground. You know, people in the chat are talking about whether Armstrong is going to play and like, "Oh yeah, he's, he'll play. He'll be ready to go." I think he's going to play. I do. I think he's going to play. If you're telling me that he's going to be 100%, uh, no way. No way. Yeah. And yes, he will be healthy enough to play, okay? Um, but a couple good shots to the rib cage and that can do Notre Dame a lot of favors, okay? Yeah. So um, I'm putting this game a little bit on Notre Dame's offense. Look, you guys got to score. You guys have to take advantage of the fact that Virginia's defense is terrible. And we're going to take some chances defensively. They might pay off. They might not pay off at times, right? But the pressure's on the offense to score the football, and I think that's okay for this team to put it on the offense this time.
2: And I don't want any of that. Look, let me tell you something, man. First quarter, on the first two drives last week were total bullcrap. Like I, the lack of focus Yeah. What we saw from the Notre Dame offense against Navy was, was bullcrap. Like, your starting right tackle can't come out first play of the game. Right. At home. Right. With a false start. Like, what are we doing? And every time we get a positive play, here's another penalty. Right. And it's like that lack of focus is like, look, we're on the road, nighttime. You're going to get their best. We know how terrible this defense has been. The same defense that came that went to BYU—that's not going to be the same defense, <laughs> at least early on—that you're going to see. You're going to get the very best of Bronco Mendenhall, sure, strategically, and those Virginia players. Sure, you have to expect that. Absolutely, so you have to come out with a mean street, like you said, saying, "Look, write fifty on the on the chalkboard before you come out."
1: Right. That's the goal.
2: That's that's the low point.
1: That's yeah, right,
2: right. That's the least we're going to take. From you all tonight is fifty. If you come back in this locker room after four quarters and we have to go haven't gone over fifty points, something's wrong.
1: Right, and you may be coming back as a loser if that's not, not the true. case. To be honest with you, I mean and
2: you have to make them feel that <clears throat> and, and put that pressure on them. I understand, yeah. and it's right. a game as a coach. It might be a dangerous game, right? Because you lose E. Sure. call and Avery Davis, right? Then it means everybody's going to be doing or trying to do something extra or moving to different spots, right? What hasn't changed is those five offensive linemen, that quarterback, and those running backs. Dominate, flat out dominate. I don't care who the wide receivers are, dominate in the trenches, and everything else will fall right in line. The dominoes will fall. Right. It is really as simple as that. They should have put up. They left points on the on the field against Navy. They left points on the field against North Carolina look, it's time for this offense to have a game.
1: Absolutely correct. And there's, and there's no, no reason they can't against this defense. There's no reason they can't against this defense. Completely agree. I, I I challenge anybody in the chat, go to YouTube when you're done watching us, look up any full game for Virginia, yeah. any one of them, and watch the defense. Just fast forward to the offense, watch the defense. There is no reason that Notre Dame can't put points up against these guys. None. Zero. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. And, you know, if Notre Dame doesn't put up 50, is it the end of the world? No, of course not, especially if the defense is playing well. But this offense that they're going up against has the ability to put up 50. Yeah. So you have to be careful. And if you want to put away any doubt, then you've got to put up points, plain and simple. And so speaking of points, let's uh, let's find our next uh, deal here. It's our scoring there we go total that's what i want boom okay points per game all um uh, and we didn't give our we didn't give our uh our advantage for the last one so i will ask you mr sean uh what Who? where do you give the advantage when it comes to notre dame's passing defense versus virginia's passing offense i i I'm going to go with Virginia on this I'm,
2: one. I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think it's a little bit closer because of the injury to Brennan Armstrong. Sure. And not knowing the type of player we're going to get on Saturday night and not knowing that 14 is going to play. Right. I mean, all of those factors factor into that decision. But if you had to ask me today, I'm going to have to give the edge to Virginia in the passing game.
1: Right. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So let's, let's look at the scoring. Ranks here, you'll notice uh, a few single digit ranks on one side, only one single digit rank on the other. Uh, <clears throat> yards per game, they're putting up 400 or 545 yards a game, which is unbelievable, and obviously it is because it's first in the country. Uh, but 7.2 yards a play. Um, their, their red zone, uh, they're okay in the red zone, they get bogged down in the red zone actually a decent amount. Um, that is the one thing that jumped out at me as I was watching Virginia's film, and I didn't have these numbers in front of me, yeah. um, but I, I felt like they were kicking a lot of field goals, to be perfectly honest with you, once they get down to the red zone.
2: Well, that's what happens when you run that spread offense, right. getting to close quarters, and everything becomes a little bit more difficult, and you don't have room to operate. You have to be able to run the ball. You have to be able to line up and knock people yeah. off the line of scrimmage to score in the red zone. So that's, that's why Notre Dame has struggled in the red zone, because that offensive line early on Wasn't able
1: to do that. Absolutely. No question. Yep. Completely agree with that. Um, And, you know, Notre Dame has done a really good job of creating turnovers. And, you know, Virginia has turned the ball over, to be honest with you. Uh, 67th in the country is not great when you have an offense that is as prolific as this offense is. Um, You cannot turn the ball over as much as they are. That, That means that they've, I believe they had eight interceptions on the last card. So that means they've got five fumbles as well. So um, they they have to do a better job of protecting the football. And Notre Dame, look, they need to do what they do. They need to force turnovers. They're going to have opportunities. Virginia's going to put the ball in the air. Um, they, they're going to give you opportunities to get some turnovers, and Notre Dame absolutely needs to capitalize in that area.
2: I totally agree with you. Turnovers are what it hurt them against North Carolina – it definitely hurt them against Wake Forest. And it I think it hurt them against Miami as well. So they'll turn the ball over. They'll give you an opportunity. Once you get the ball so – how many times have we seen the Notre Dame offense get a turnover and not be able to cash it in with a touchdown? True. And it's been really frustrating. Or get great field position, whether it's a turnover on downs or another big play. And we just haven't been able to cash that in. Look, when you look at the rankings for Virginia, you say to yourself, well, first of all, you say to yourself, they they might average more points than their basketball team.
1: <laughs>
2: as slow as their basketball team. It's a good goes. point. They, oh. they live
1: and breathe with the burn offense.
2: <laughs> I know. But, you know, with all of that being said, the stats look really good. But if you look at their toughest opponents, they scored 28, 30, 31 and their toughest opponents have been middle-of-the-road ACC teams because they haven't played Pitt yet. And I think that's going to be the toughest game for them in conference. So Notre Dame has a chance, once again, if they can just play simple, fundamental football. Yeah, They have a chance to really hold Virginia. If they hold Virginia under 30, the game is over.
1: Oh, absolutely agree with it's that. It's Over, yeah, absolutely. Look, and, again, everybody's having an issue with the fact that we said Notre Dame is going to score fifty points, or that they should score fifty points. That, again, that's the goal. Okay, you put fifty go. up on the board. That's the goal. We're not predicting that to happen, and we'll have our predictions tomorrow in tomorrow's show. I, I can, uh, you know, spoiler alert: I'm not predicting Notre Dame to score fifty. Okay, but would I be surprised if they did? Not really, because that's how bad. I'm not saying that's how good Notre Dame's offense is. That's how bad this Virginia defense is. Okay? Again, go watch the film. They're bad. They're really, really bad. And if Notre Dame can hold Virginia under 30 points, look, they're they're averaging almost 40 points a game. They're one point shy of 40 points a game. That's 11th in the country. If Notre Dame can hold them 10 points under their average, that's a pretty darn good day if you're Notre Dame. Pretty darn good day. Look, if I'm if I'm writing out my goal sheet for example, if I'm Notre Dame, under 400 yards of total offense. Okay? I think that's a pretty decent day. Yeah. Okay? And under 30 yards points. I think that's a pretty decent day as well. Um and would I be surprised if it was better than that? No, because I think this defense is ascending. I think they're yeah. doing I think they're doing really good things right now. Um but if they if Notre Dame hits their averages in this game, that's a really good outing for Notre Dame's defense.
2: Okay, so that, now, now this is a perfect segue for the question I've been holding for you and everybody that's watching, right? Because this is our big game to show the committee who we are. Sure. And how much how different we are than the Cincinnati game as a team, how we've progressed, right? So what type of game would speak more volumes to the committee? Would it be... Notre Dame winning, scoring 50, and winning 51-34? to 34? Or would it be Notre Dame being dominant defensively and shutting down the second-best offense in the nation and holding them to 17 points
1: Oof.
2: while scoring 31? Like which one do you think speaks more better, gives you a better look as to how different Notre Dame is if
1: you're the committee? To me... Oh, if you can hold this offense to 17 points, that's pretty, I think that's where you're looking at. And I was worried that you were going to say Notre Dame was going to score in the twenties. Now 31 is not that much higher than the twenties. Okay. Right. Um, so, but it's still a convincing win. Right. OK, it could be
2: 37, 17, 34, 17. Right. You're, you're still talking 30s. about a
1: very convincing win for yeah. Notre Dame. You're, you're, you're talking, what, a 20, 20 points, basically, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, 15 to 20 points. Um, I think that speaks volumes If your defense. I mean, your defense is not only ascending, but they may be there um, if they hold this team to 17 points. Uh, I, I think that that would be that would speak volumes to the committee and scoring. You know, for Notre Dame to score, you know, 34, 37, that's about what their average is. So that would be fine. I would be fine with that as well. So uh, I think that's the scenario that would be best case for Notre Dame to really impress the voters. And then, you know what? Then you're scoreboard watching, too. Like, Mm -hmm. you're hoping that something similar to last weekend happens this weekend in that the teams that are up high, even though they didn't lose, they struggled. Right. right, they struggled, right. and if Notre Dame doesn't struggle and they put a beat down on Virginia's offense like that, I think, I think that would speak volumes. I, I really do. I think that they, you know, they would have an opportunity to leapfrog both Michigan teams. Yeah. Um, you know, I still don't know what they're going to do with Oklahoma, uh, but I think they they could very well leapfrog both Michigan teams and um, you know be in the conversation.
2: I, I'm, I'm I'm torn on it. Yeah, You know, I'm torn on it because I think seeing offense score would be a far departure from what the committee saw with this Notre Dame team and the story of the offensive line and the quarterback play struggling early. So that would be a stark contrast sure. to what they thought Notre Dame was. You know, and we hung our hat, or Notre Dame hung their hat, on the defense. So the defense coming out and being dominant The committee saw that already. They haven't seen this offense go out and just dominate a game. That's true. Lead Notre Dame to a convincing win. But it's just, as someone in the chat said, you know, the committee loves points. You know, who doesn't love points? Right. It's sexy. Yeah. Points are sexy. It's it's entertaining. Yeah. You know? So, but I could go either way. I mean, I'm going to take either way. A dominant win is a dominant win. Right.
1: No doubt about that.
2: But it was just interesting to think like how how would the committee look at it. Sure. And what would they want? What would they want to see? I think game control is important. I do want to see Notre Dame control this game from start to finish.
1: Yes. That's That's huge. That's huge. I agree with you.
2: I don't want to see, you know, it tight and low scoring going into the third quarter and then Notre Dame pulls away. No, I want to see control from the beginning to the end. And I think that is what will speak more volumes to the committee is that, you know what, Notre Dame went on the road and from the first snap totally dominated Virginia regardless of what the score ended up being.
1: All right. Well, that is going to do it uh, for this edition of the Stacking Up podcast talking about Notre Dame's defense versus Virginia offense. Again, this is the side of the ball that's going to matter, Sean. No question about it. it um it it, this is where the rubber meets the road as they say and this is the side we're going to be keeping our eye on even though I've got a lot of I'm personally putting a lot of pressure on Notre Dame's offense to score some points in this game as you should yeah As you should as Brian Kelly should yeah absolutely no question about it so uh if you're watching us on YouTube make sure you hit that like button make sure you hit that uh that notification bell subscribe to our channel Um, the notification bell is important because when we do our post game show after games, all depends on when Brian's going to be able to get back from the stadium to wherever he's at. And when you hit that notification bell, you'll know when we're going to be up and running, uh, with that post game show. And, uh, also as well with like college football playoff shows and some of those things we do at night. Um, you know, that's when you want to be notified. So, Make sure you do all that. If you're listening on the podcast, make sure you give us a five star review. You know, write us a review. Uh, I I like to read those every now and again, even the ones that aren't good. All right, I even read those. Uh, So, so make sure you guys do that. And uh, we appreciate everybody joining us, Sean. Thank you. That's two days in a row. Last night, today, make sure everybody checks out last night's uh, show about the college football playoff. There's some great conversation in there between Brian and Sean. And uh, we also want to say that we hope Brian is feeling better. Uh, that's why he's out today. He's not feeling the best. So prayers to Brian. Hope he feels better soon. But thank you, Sean, for filling in. Uh, if you're not filling in, man. You're part of the team. We appreciate it, man. As
2: always, it's a pleasure to work with you, Vince.
1: Absolutely. And and make sure, hey, tell everybody real quick where they can find your podcast. Uh, YouTube channel,
2: Lucky Lefty Podcast with myself, my co-host, Malik Zaire. Uh, we spend it different. We talk about Notre Dame football from a lot of different angles, interesting angles, and today the slant is going to be released. And uh, we have our preview show coming up on Friday, so stay tuned with that. Uh, He was out doing some things with his high school team that's in the playoffs. He's a coach out in California, so uh, we had to scrap the college football playoff show, but that opened me up to be able to work with you you So everything worked out perfectly. Yeah, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Lucky
1: Lefty. Pa, beautiful, beautiful. So again, for Sean Davis, I am Vince D'Addario, and we will talk to you guys. I believe tomorrow there, m- there might be a show tonight. Maybe, maybe. We'll, maybe, maybe. Hit the notification bell. We'll see. But uh, we'll we'll talk to everybody next time.